So here we are, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You will remember from last week, those of you who were here, that we reminded ourselves of the fact that words do not exist in isolation. Words do not exist in isolation. Rather, they exist in the background of experience and thought. And so once again, we must consider this beatitude, like the others, in the context and climate in which Jesus spoke the words. And friends, Jesus spoke these words in what was essentially a merciless environment. He spoke them within what was essentially a merciless environment. Not unlike our own culture and society, Jesus lived in a society that endured an uneasy fusion of different and competing cultures. One of those cultures, of course, was the Roman culture. If you know anything of the Roman culture... Historically speaking, it was a merciless culture, especially towards the slave and towards children. In ancient Rome, the slave was treated probably a little like a common tool. A master could, and often did, kill his slave, particularly if the slave was sick or aged and therefore of no further use. Merciless. In uh, Juvenal's satires, an ancient Roman historian, he says, I quote, There are masters who delight in the sound of cruel flogging, thinking it sweeter than the siren's song. They are never happy until they have summoned a torturer and can brand someone with a red-hot iron for stealing a couple of towels, who revel in clanking chains. The slave was treated like like a tool, mercilessly. And in ancient Rome, children also were treated mercilessly. In ancient Rome, the, the, the practice of exposing children was commonplace. The unwanted child was simply thrown out like refuge. The exposed child might be picked up in the street and trained in brothels, or even worse than that, perhaps, deliberately maimed, that they might be used by some professional beggar to awaken sympathy in some way. Stobaeus says the poor man raises his sons, but his daughters, if he is poor, will expose. In other words, he would throw them out. He would expel them from the home. Plato in his Republic said... Only children of better unions must be kept, and any defective child must be thrown away. Friends, this is the society within which Jesus spoke these words. Now, of course, there was a mix with the Roman culture, with the, the Greek culture. And you would think, well, the Greek, well, perhaps they were more merciful. Arguably, Perhaps they were. 
but perhaps not also. It was the Greek conviction that from the moment a man did a wrong thing, Nemesis was on his heels and would not rest until that man was destroyed. It was the Greek conviction that the whole universe was designed to smash the sinner. A God of mercy was beyond the range of knowledge. So there wasn't much light in the Greek culture either. Ah, you're thinking, but surely within this blend of Roman and Greek culture, there was the Jewish culture. If any culture was to bring mercy and and love, and, well, surely it would be the Jewish culture. Well, yes and no. The Jews would extend mercy to their own, but not to the Gentile. In fact, to a Jew, a Gentile, within the context within which Jesus was speaking, a Gentile was considered nothing more than a dog. A dog. And Gentile dogs were to be killed and, and, and smashed and, and crushed like snakes. Gentiles were created for no other purpose but to be fuel for the fires of hell. Hmm. The Jewish culture was very patriarchal. And so you dear ladies would be oppressed for the most part within the ancient Jewish culture. And children, well, certainly seen but not heard. So friends, within these complex, eclectic mixes of cultures, Jesus radically, radically spoke these words, blessed are the merciful. You can bet your life, whilst our ears might not prick up with excitement, with shock, the ears of those to whom Jesus spoke would have pricked up immediately. What, Rabbi? What are you teaching? What are you suggesting? Blessed are the merciful. To the Jews, of course, their understanding of mercy was to be found in the Old Testament, the the Hebraic background. And there's a lovely word in Hebrew that we now translate as mercy in our English. It's the word chesed. Chesed. It's a beautiful word. In the Old Testament, it occurs more than 150 times. And unsurprisingly, 90% of those times, it is referring to the chesed of God. The mercy of God. William Barclay said, Chesed, when it is used of God, is the outgoing kindness of the heart of God. It is the basis of God's whole relationship to man and especially His relationship to His people, Israel. By way of example, in Isaiah 62 verse 12, it is to God, it is to God that mercy belongs. Mercy, chesed, belongs to God. Micah 7 verse 18, it is the mercy that God delights in. 
in Psalm 36, 5, Psalm 57, 10, the mercy of God is so infinite that it reaches the heavens. Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, the mercy of God is so enduring that it lasts forever. And here we have a, a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. The mercy of God endureth. Forever, 1 Chronicles 16, 34, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 3, Ezra 3, 11, Psalm 106, verse 1, Psalm 107, verse 1, Psalm 138, verse 8, Jeremiah 33, verse 11. Are you with me? You writing them down? The chesed, the mercy of God endures forever. Now you would think, would you not, that a, a people, a culture, who understood this extraordinary mercy, who were the beneficiaries of this extraordinary mercy, would find it commonplace to extend mercy to others. But no. (laughs) For what is natural in the heart of God, my friends, is certainly not natural within the heart of man. For Jeremiah says, does he not, in in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The loving, unfailing love and mercy of God. Oh, my friends, I could, I could keep you here all day. The psalmist loves to use this word chesed. Psalm 86 He lifts up his soul to God because of God's plenteous mercy. Psalm 13, Psalm 52. The psalmist has trusted in God's chesed, God's mercy. Psalm 21. He knows that through the mercy of God, he will not be moved. Psalm 59. He sings of God's mercy, for God has been his defense in times of trouble. I can go on and on and on. The psalmist is consumed with the mercy of God. Hallelujah. Because the psalmist came to understand that it was because of God's mercy that he, he, he was the beneficiary of a love and a grace that he didn't deserve. Also, without getting into too much detail, whenever chesed is used in the Old Testament it is linked also with the idea of truth, the dynamic of truth mercy and truth go hand in hand unsurprisingly also twelve times in the Old Testament when chesed is used of God's mercy, it's speaking about God's covenant relationship God's made a promise His covenant relationship to His people that He might be merciful. And so so to summarize a complicated dynamic ostensibly, chesed is God's attitude towards His people. Chesed is God's steadfast and faithful adherence to His special relationship towards His people. Chesed is the outgoing love of God towards His people. Now friends, you would think, would you not, that a people who have experienced, who are the beneficiaries of this wonderful mercy of God, would find it easy to extend it. And yet Jesus finds it necessary to say, Blessed are the merciful. For he understood the culture and the climate within which he was teaching. And it was culture and it was a climate that was not naturally merciful. In the New Testament, of course, 
the Septuagint, which is the Greek New Testament of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates chesed with this word elios. Elios is used 27 times in the New Testament. It speaks about God's richness of mercy. The, the rich mercy of God, Ephesians 2 verse 4, Titus 3 verse 5. It speaks about the mercy that flows from the throne of God. Hebrews 4 verse 16, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Jude verse 21. It speaks about God giving in the gospel, extending in the gospel to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. That's to to us for the most part. Any Jews, any Jewish blood here? No, we're all Gentiles. It speaks, this Elios speaks about that the mercy of God being extended to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? Romans 9.23, Romans 11 verse 31, Romans 15 verse 9. You might not think it amazing. My gosh, the Jews thought it, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Orthodox Jews still does. We're still dogs in their eyes. But my friends, the Elios, the mercy of God is extended from His throne to me. Hallelujah. And to you, though born in sin, to me, though born outside of God's people of the house of Israel, to me, hallelujah. This is Elios. This is the chesed. This is the mercy of God that finds ultimate expression in Jesus. The incarnation, of course, is the ultimate expression of God's mercy. Because when we think of mercy, we're thinking of God extending to us what we do not deserve. Hallelujah. Salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Withholding from me what I do deserve, extending to me what I do not deserve by His grace and His mercy. And so, my friends, Jesus, <laughs> he, he takes an Old Testament dynamic, the grace and the mercy of God, and he seeks to apply it into a culture that frankly finds it somewhat of an enigma. Blessed are the merciful. All that by way of introduction. I got carried away, I do apologize. I enjoy word studies and I know they are somewhat boring, but sometimes we need to understand what's behind the word. Chesed, Elias. I have a, a number of thoughts here by way of the main sermon. I'm going to move quickly. You'll be blessed to know. It seems to me that this mercy is communicating, friends, outgoing love. And if it is outgoing, then it is of necessity first outlooking. Mercy is the reverse of self-centeredness. Mercy is the antithesis of selfishness. Something that a man who concentrates on himself can never possess in his heart nor show in his life. If we are consumed with ourselves, we will find it difficult, if not impossible, to express this mercy. The attitude of the man for whom the needs of others are placed before his own needs is this mercy. Nels Ferrer in his wonderful book, Christ and the Christian, says, The church is the fellowship of the dead to themselves and the alive for Christ. 
Now friends, if we are in Christ, then we are of necessity dead to ourselves. For Christ has said, if you come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If we are in Christ, then we are of necessity dead to ourselves. And then, says Jesus, you can express this mercy. William Barclay says, mercy comes when love of self is replaced by love of God and love of man, which are the fulfillment of both the great commandments of Jesus and the life of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, this mercy of which Christ speaks is outgoing love. And of necessity is first outlooking. Secondly, this mercy is necessarily an individualized outgoing love. It is not vague or generalized benevolence. It is not a sentimental love of humanity. It is not an outgoing love, uh, not an outgoing love, not simply of humanity, but of, but of, but of men. It is individualized. It's important that we understand that. My friends, my God's love for me is God's love for Doug Atherton. It is individualized. It is unique for me. It's unique to my situation. And so if that love is expressed through my life to others, it is individualized love expressed in mercy. Thirdly, this can be expressed, this mercy, by saying, that this mercy is actualized, outgoing love, therefore. It is actualized, outgoing love. It is not simply sentiment. It is life. It is not simply emotion. It is action. Blessed are those who are merciful. Not those who just talk about it. Those who are merciful. Not those who are just generalized in their mindsets. Those who are merciful. The New Testament does not simply say for God so loved the world that he gave and stopped there. Not, sorry, the New Testament doesn't say God so loved the world and stopped there. God so loved the world that he gave. Martin Lloyd-Jones says mercy really means a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. That is the essential meaning of being merciful. It is pity plus action. So the Christian has a feeling of pity. His concern about the misery of men and women leads to an anxiety to relieve it. So mercy, this mercy, this chesed of God, because it resides in the child of God, because we're the beneficiaries, is expressed through the child of God by His Holy Spirit in outgoing, actualized, individualized mercy. It becomes real. Blessed are the merciful. And the promise? For they will be shown mercy. I love these Beatitudes because whilst in many ways they appear to be extraordinarily demanding, <laughs> the every one of them provide a wonderful promise for us to claim. For they will be shown mercy. Here is, however, an inescapable principle that the Lord Jesus Christ laid down throughout his life. Matthew 7 verse 2, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 6.14 For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. James 2.12-13 Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Hmm. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so here we have this, this principle that Jesus sought to lay down throughout his life. That's at the very heart of the chesed, the, the, the elios, the mercy of God. Just as we are the wonderful recipients and beneficiaries of the mercy of God in Christ, then it is incumbent upon us. In fact, the throne of God expects mercy of us. There's a question here, isn't there? How can those who have been forgiven not forgive? How can those who have been the recipients of the mercy of God not express or extend mercy it's it's nonsense isn't it and that's what Jesus is teaching here as a man as a person judges so will they be judged as a person treats the fellow person so they will be treated by God Practice of mercy, says William Barclay, is that which unites us with God. The failure in mercy is that which separates us from God. And so the ending of this beatitude is promise and warning at the same time. I guess it is. The the ending of this beatitude is promise, hallelujah, and warning at the same time. My friends, for me not to forgive those who sin against me is to burn the very bridge upon which I stand. Stupid, you say? Absolutely. But how often do we hold on to grudges? How difficult do we find it to forgive? Ah, you say, you don't understand my context, Pastor. Rightly so. You don't understand how much I was hurt. And I don't. You don't understand, Pastor, the pain and the sorrow and suffering that pierced my own heart and life because of that sin and that situation and that circumstance. Absolutely. I don't understand. But Jesus does. And what does Jesus say? Forgive. Forgive as I have forgiven you. How many times, Lord? How many times? Seven times? (laughs) That person thought he was being spiritual. (laughs) Seven times? I tell you, 70 times. In other words, you just keep on forgiving. And you just keep on forgiving. And you just keep on 
forgive him. That cuts across our humanity, doesn't it? Because we're hurting. And our humanity says, well, I want my vengeance. I want, I want to get back at them. I want them to know how much I'm hurting. I want them to know. And Jesus says, don't worry, vengeance is mine. <laughs> vengeance is mine. Payday, ultimately, they will give an account to me. You just forgive. Forgive. And keep on forgiving. My friends, we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, the beneficiaries of the chesed, the wonderful mercy of God that's mingled with His truth and accompanied, married to His covenant promise of salvation, the chesed of God. How wonderful. Jesus, therefore, expects us also to forgive. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be sure mercy.